morning. God bless you all. Good to see you. Oh, I brought my phone. Probably don't need that. Uh, <clears throat> I love being here. This is great. Uh, uh, I've been going back and forth, for those of you who are unaware, between here in Vandalia and Georgia and Toronto and North to South Carolina and all over the place. Uh, so the reason I'm not often, always here is because I'm in other places ministering or, or um, actually went on a vacation there a little bit. Uh, so uh, did we miss a Sunday on that? No, we didn't miss a Sunday. We snuck down to Florida while, while y'all weren't looking. <laughs> so uh, a couple of things before I, I jump into the message is I just want to publicly confess my agreement with um, there's a prophetic word that's, that's really a chorus of prophetic voices around the world that are talking about a one billion soul harvest. Wow. Say, say one billion. One billion. All right. So can you picture a billion in your mind? No. No, nobody can. It's a million million, right? <clears throat> a thousand million. I'm not good with math. So a thousand million. And we can't get a, a picture on a million, uh, let alone a billion but uh, I really believe this, and I believe that it's not going to take a generation. It's not going to take decades. I believe that we're going to see a, hun- a billion souls, new believers, within the next few years. Uh, it's, uh, the population of Christians right now is between 2 and 3 uh, billion. I think it's closer to 3 billion. Um, and so we're gonna, it's going to go from between 2 and 3 billion to 3 and 4 billion within the next few years. How many want to be part of that? So we are part of that, okay? We're part of that. Uh, and, and yes, the majority of those will probably be people in Asia and Africa, <clears throat> uh, because that's where the majority of people live. You know, there's only a little over 300 million. Could you turn me down a little bit? I feel restrained. There's only like 300 million, 330 million people in the United States. But there's 2 billion in China, right? And, uh, and India is going to overtake China in population by 2030, I believe, or 2050. And so, <clears throat> there's just so many people over there. But we have a part, we have a stake in the one billion soul harvest. And so, we need to, we need to embrace that. And, and part of, of, of believing something really is speaking it. And uh, this ties in uh, that uh, right now we have three congregations uh, doing worship. This congregation, we have the congregation in uh, Vandalia, and we have the congregation in South Carolina. They're all doing service right now, and that's exciting, isn't it? Uh, I'm excited about that. And we're, we're actually working on two more. And some, some of you may have heard of New Day London. And then the Jones are looking at uh, starting another church in uh, South Carolina as well. And actually, I'd say two and a half. I can't tell you about the half. Uh, and so God is multiplying. And, and part of the, the deal with 100 billion people is that you're going to need a whole bunch of pastors, aren't you? Yeah. In fact, I was, if you, usually there's one pastor for every 100 uh, Christians. But what, I divided it by 200 for every 200. And so that's, that's five million pastors. So we're going to need five to ten million uh, pastors, let alone all of the other leaders and worship leaders and, and elders. And so. Just think about that. And so our vision as a church is not just for Cameron or a couple of people to come up and mostly Cameron preach. It's to raise up pastors and leaders that can, can lead uh, congregations, all right, and so that's why we have multiple congregations. That's why we rotate speakers, and it's not the easiest way to do church. 
All right. Uh, it's easier to have the same speaker every Sunday that builds. It's easier for people to connect to. But I'm asking you to join with us in this uh, adventure and in this, in this uh, goal of reaching a billion souls. And so why do we rotate speakers? It's because we believe that there's going to be a billion people saved within the next few years. And we want to be ready for it. You want to be ready for it? Yeah. All right. <clears throat> Are you sure? You didn't sound too excited about that. Want to be ready for a billion souls that come into the kingdom? Yeah! All right. Thank you. So, uh, yeah, it's going to happen whether you're ready or not. Oh, God, please make the remote control work. I think you need to reboot it. It's not working. So, you know, the Lord was telling me. <laughs> I'm just joking. <laughs> um, I'm going to keep. I'm going to jump into the message, and and that can do that. Uh, we're talking about the year on fire, and uh, this month um, specifically, we're. We're dealing with uh, the first quarter. We've been dealing with the Father Heart message of God, God understanding God as loving Father, and <clears throat> this month we're talking about God's heart for the the lost and the oppressed. And this is an aspect of the Father Heart message that sometimes gets overlooked because there's an emphasis on God's heart for us as as His children. And we need to accept that. We being people that are already in relationship with Jesus Christ need to realize that we're sons and daughters. But John 3.16 says that God so loved the world. Everybody say the world. world. Right. You know what is meant by the world there? You know what the Greek means? The world! That's why the translators translated it that way. <laughs> so, I think it's actually the word cosmos, which means the whole system. Uh, <clears throat> but it's all the people, all the people in the world, in the world itself, uh, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. Hey, folks! God didn't send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. That was the purpose of the Father sending Jesus. It was motivated by uh, love. And the Father heart message uh, of, uh, that, that we preach and is such a core aspect of our our. our our emphasis and our identity as a church really highlights the loving nature of God, not the distorted view of God as a distant, angry judge. God really is a loving Father, and He does everything possible to rescue His creation. All right? God does everything possible to rescue His creation. Keep those words in mind. <clears throat> um, And the ultimate expression of that is that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ. How many? Sending your Son? Come on. Right? That's pretty radical, isn't it? That's over the top. 
Well, that's what God did. And it was an expression of God's love. And so if God demonstrated His love by sending His Son because of His love for all of mankind, that He so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that means that He loves the world with the same love that He loves Jesus. Think about that for a minute. How much do you think the Father loves Jesus? A little bit? A whole lot? Yeah, they're perfect unity. And so, by Him sending His Son, that means there's an equivalency that He is... He, he loves the world so much that He's willing to say, send His own Son. John 4, verse 9 says... First John 4, verse 9. This is the Apostle John speaking, uh, writing concerning this. It says, In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that He might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation or the atoning sacrifice for our sin. Right? Not that we love God, but that He loved us. Boom! Everybody say thanks, TJ. Thank you. <clears throat> See if it works. Oh, Jesus, please. Yeah. Okay, well, you just keep up with me, okay? So that means you gotta you gotta try to look at the next. Well, you won't know what the next one. I'll try to tell you. So God always loved us. Jesus didn't come to convince the Father to love the world, but to convince the world that the Father loves us. All right. And a lot of Christians we get this mixed up. He didn't come to convince the Father to love the world. No, he he got loved the world that he sent. So God's love was the initiating motivation. All right. Jesus came to convince us that God loves us. And God loves the world. Uh, the Father already knew that. Next slide. Our love is always in response to His love initiated by Jesus. And if this is true for us who have already accepted that love, it's equally true. Everybody say equally true. It's equally true for every man, woman, and child on planet Earth. Every man, woman, and child on planet Earth, that God loves them, uh, uh, and uh, that God initiates love with them. Next slide. First John two two. It says this: He Himself is the sacrifice that atones. This is from the New Living Translation. He Himself is the sacrifice. I love you know whenever it says He Himself or God Himself, that's emphasizing the personal nature that God was personally invested or here is speaking of Jesus himself that his this was something he took upon himself you know like a, a, a owner of a company can have something done like he can tell an employee to take care of this and run this but certain things he takes care of himself because that they're so important there's so there's leadership there's some things you can't delegate the primary responsibility of leadership is delegation primary responsibility of a pastor is to delegate I, my job is to get you people to do stuff to do the work of ministry to read all about it in Ephesians but that's my primary job but there's some things uh, and I teach other pastors and they say these are the things you can't delegate uh, because there, 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 there's something that it, there's a connection there and, and here God Himself Jesus Christ 
So this is my responsibility. This is what I have to do. This is why I came, Jesus said at one place, was to be the sacrifice that atones for sin. And not only for our sin, but the sins of all the world. Listen, there's some wacky theology that's been around for hundreds of years and thousands of years, really. People really don't understand it. Some people actually think Jesus didn't die for everybody's sin. I don't know how they get around this verse. Um, seriously, it's called limited atonement. And those, some of you may recognize that. Uh, it's, 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 it's a creation of man. <laughs> Somebody had a good idea, and they can argue it. But it's not true. He did, Jesus' death atoned for all of the sins of all mankind, whether they receive it or not. The sins are paid for. Now, it doesn't mean everybody's going to go to heaven. That's another error. All right? Because you have to respond to it. All right? You have to receive it and not reject it. And we're, we're born rejecting it. And so, but the truth is that Jesus died for the sins of, of not for our sins only, but for the payment of the sins of the whole world. <clears throat> Hit the slide. God is passionately in love with every person and creation. The passion uh, that pr- prompted the Father to send Jesus now prompts Him to send us as Christ's ambassadors to the lost, the hurting, the poor, and the broken. Next slide. So Jesus' mission statement, this is what I want to get to, is uh, uh, the expression of the love of the Father. In other words, what Jesus came to do reveals the Father's heart. Okay? If God so loved the world that He sent Jesus, right? That's point number one. Then what Jesus came to do reveals the love of the Father. Does that make sense? Yeah, Yeah, that's pretty clear. Okay, so what did Jesus come to do? Well, guess what? He tells us. This is not something we have to try to figure out. Uh, This is a little little secret about the Bible. You can actually understand it. (laughs) And and it answers most questions. And so what was Jesus' mission? It's in Luke chapter 4. Verse 16 through 21. Hit the button. It says, so the next, uh, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. So this is his hometown, coming back to home where he grew up most of the time. Um, and as was his custom, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. Jesus went to church every, in their culture it was on Sabbath. In the Old Covenant, they gathered on Saturdays. <clears throat> uh, but it was his, his, his custom on Saturday you'd find Jesus with the people of God in the place of worship. And so, if you want to be like Jesus, uh, as Christians, we celebrate the resurrection, uh, and not, uh, uh, not the Sabbath. We celebrate the resurrection on Sunday. Uh, you can take Saturdays off if you want. That's great. <clears throat> but we rest every day in Christ. It's no whole other sermon. Cameron, I can't go there. <laughs> so he went to church, <clears throat> as it were, and, uh, but this time he spoke up and read and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. Next slide. And this is a quote from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. It says, He opened the book. He found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty... Those who are oppressed, it's all in in caps because it's a quote from the Old Testament. It continues to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So that quote was very important scripture. First of all, uh, old, uh, the, the scholars uh, and most of the people in, who, who were 
hearing him speak, already knew that that was what the Messiah was going to come to do. They knew that that was the Messiah's job description, and they were waiting for that. Uh, Israel, at the time of Jesus, was really primed for... They were expecting the Messiah to come, uh, because everything lined up, amazingly. Uh, But what they were expecting was different than what Jesus came and did. They were expecting someone like David that would would, uh, militarily take over and kick the Romans out and re-establish Israel as a worldwide political and economic and military power. But God's purpose was far bigger than they could ever imagine. And so Jesus reads this verse, then He closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. They're like, wow, what the... What is He saying? And uh, and like, why isn't he talking? He definitely created a scene by reading this and then sitting down. It says, And all the eyes who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And that is an astounding claim. Now, let me just uh, explain this a little bit. When he said, This is fulfilled in your hearing, it doesn't mean it came to an end. It came to its fullness. Alright? So in other words, what you've been waiting for, what this Scripture has promised, has now begun. Does that make sense? Because we are still living in the fulfillment. It's not like Jesus did this and that was finished 2,000 years ago and now we're trying to figure out what to do. Okay? It's like, that's what Christ did. That's what He came to initiate and to begin, and we are living... Are we, are we, are we Jews here? Are we Hebrews? Right? Are we, are, do we practice the religion of Judaism? Are we Buddhist? Is little test Hindu? Muslim? No. What are we? Christians! And so we are Christians. We are to live like Christ. Christ's mission is our mission. Right? And so this is the age of this word coming to pass. Alright? Are you with me on that? <clears throat> yes? No? Maybe so? Don't know? Okay. Uh, next slide. <clears throat> so let's look at this passage and understand what the heart of the Father was in sending Jesus. And Jesus said, this is what I came to do because this is the Father's heart. And the first thing is the gospel of the poor. He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. And the, uh, the purpose of the anointing, all right, He's anointed me. The purpose of the anointing is not to feel spiritual, get famous, or have a ministry. You know, people talk about the anointing. Oh, I, I feel the anointing. They have a big, exciting prayer meeting. And they come out, man, did you feel the anointing? Well, you know, yeah, that's anointing. But you want to see real anointing? Preach good news to poor people. Preach good news to poor people. Find someone who's... Well, what is poor people? Okay. Poor means, the next next line there, reduced to begging, destitute of wealth, influence, position, or honor, debased people. That's where anointing is. And so whatever you feel, and I'm not saying 
those feelings of God's imminent presence is really what you're feeling. You're encountering God in an in a, in a intense way, and that's appropriate, and we need that. We, we love that, okay? We, t- we can teach you, I can teach you how to do that. I live for that. But I recognize that experience God in that way is simply to equip me to go out and, and, and function in the anointing, which means connecting with people that are destitute uh, of wealth, or influence, or position, or honor. Okay, is that that's 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 what he's talking about in Isaiah 61. Next point there, uh, Isaiah, which he's quoting, uses a little different word. It says the afflicted, which means depressed. How many have ever met a depressed person? How many met that person while you're looking in a mirror? <laughs> Did you hear me? <laughs> Come on, guys, lighten up a little bit. To forget how I preach, I gotta hear some feedback, or else I think I'm lost. <clears throat> how many met a depressed person when you were looking in a mirror? Yeah. Come on, we all deal with it. What, uh, man? You look. Man, what's the problem? You look in the mirror and go, "Are you doing all right?" No. Can I pray for you? <laughs> so depressed in mind or circumstances that means you know you can be depressed in mind this is what he's preaching the gospel to so this is uh, poor and financial but poor uh, emotionally okay it qualifies that's why Jesus came humble lowly meek uh, <clears throat> Jesus came to preach good news next slide his mission was to proclaim good news to the poor, the afflicted, the depressed, the lowly. Why? Explain why? Because the Father cares about this is the Father's heart. Yeah. All right? So every definition of poor, the Father cares. Next slide, please. <clears throat> I saw this picture come up on Facebook. It's a trash can. That's a trash can, folks. In a city in America, I'm sure. Uh, And it says, I eat better than 60% of the world's children. The trash can eat. We throw away so much food in America. It's crazy. Next, hit the button. That moves the heart of God. It really does. And it's easy to tune in on something like... Like, uh, you know, this is an issue that we can all understand. But God's just as moved by people living their lives afflicted with depression or clouded with anxiety. Next point. <clears throat> says, we, we need to not react to the poor, the oppressed, the afflicted, merely politically or out of an economic theory. I'm glad your economic theory is better than your opponent's economic theory in your own mind. Uh, you know, that's nice. I'm glad that you think your politics is better than the other person's politics. But you know what? Frankly, politics is not going to solve a problem. <laughs> if you don't believe me, read world history. <laughs> All right? Ask yourself. It doesn't mean we were to abandon that. No, that's another mistake. But ask yourself, what does the Father see and what would the Father do? What would the Father... What does This, this breaks the heart of the Father. Come on. People go to bed hungry every day in our city. Kids do. In the world. 60% of the world's children. My goodness, eat better than what we throw away. That breaks God's heart. How can we be a church that says we know the Father heart of God if we're not broken in heart by this truth? 
broken to the point that we do something. See, Jesus, God was broken to the point that he did something about. Next slide. He sent his son. He sent his most valuable thing to do something. If a a person is broken in any of these areas, Jesus' mission is to heal. I, I missed something. Hang on. Yeah, next slide. There we go. Heal the broken heart. Heal means the cure, to make whole, to free from error and sin, <clears throat> to bring about one's salvation, to heal the brokenhearted. So preach good, not, good, good news to the poor. Second thing is to heal the brokenhearted, which literally means to bring about salvation, to free from errors and, 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 and sin. And broken means to, uh, the broken are those who are crushed completely, shattered. Uh, broke, bruised and the hearted the broken hearted hearted means the soul or mind well, listen it's, it's the fountain and seat of thoughts say thoughts passions desires appetites affections purposes and endeavors wow that's deep stuff isn't it every one of those things are not surface not how you dress but it gets to the heart of who a person is to their mind who they see, to see themselves and Jesus came to, to heal those who are broken shattered bruised or crushed in their thoughts in their passions a lot of people have broken passions Amen. they're passionate for the wrong thing they're passionate for things that destroy them and they're not passionate for things that actually give them life you see this every day and they get twisted and broken. And so, there's a lot of people's appetites are broken. It's destroyed them. Jesus came to heal. Jesus came to heal our appetites, our affections, our purposes, our endeavors. Next slide. <clears throat> and so if a person is broken in any of these areas, Jesus' mission is to make them heal, whole and, uh, and free. And the ask question is why? It's because the Father cares. The Father really cares. He cares so much. It moved Him. It moved the heart of the Father enough to send Jesus. Wow, how much did the Father care? He demonstrated that by sending Jesus. In one sense, that means coming Himself. Sending the the person of the Trinity that we call the Son to take on humanity, to take on the penalty of that. Next slide. The next part of Jesus' mission is to liberate the captives. Liberty means the release from bondage and imprisonment, to forgive and pardon, uh, a sin, letting them go as if they had never been committed. How many want your sins to be let go from all your sins as though you'd never been committed? But listen, that's what's available in Jesus Christ to you and to every man, woman, and child on planet Earth. Everyone that's experiencing shame today on planet Earth doesn't have to because Jesus paid the price for that. He's the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world because God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And Jesus came to declare this, to proclaim. That means to shout it out loud to people who don't know. All right? Liberty! Liberty! Amen! Amen! Thank you! (laughs) Captives are prisoners of war. Alright? Jesus came to free and forgive all of them. And in one sense, all of mankind are prisoners of war. 
Alright? We're caught in this battle between God and Satan. Next slide. But we're not innocent victims. We're conspirators. Ooh! It gets worse. We're conspirators. You know, after World War II, a lot of the nations that were under Nazi rule um, were freed by the Allies. And then they were left to deal with the people in their community that actually worked with the Nazis. And most of them didn't deal with them very kindly. They killed them. You know? And who knows why the people gave in. Some of them gave in because they agreed with the Hitler's or the Nazi agenda. Well, some of them gave in because they wanted their kids to have food. All right? Or they were just scared or they were weak. Well, listen, we're all conspirators because we've all bought into the enemy's strategy. All right? But God loved us so much, even in that condition, that He's not willing to leave any behind. He's implemented a grand scheme of deliverance for everyone who will respond. Everyone who will respond. Why? Because every form of bondage, even self-inflicted bondage, breaks the heart of the Father. And so whatever captivity you're in, um, it causes, or others are in, that causes God to respond. And He responds by coming right into the enemy's camp. You're a captive of the enemy. Your neighbor is a captive of the enemy. Uh, The people living in, you know, Pick a country, whatever it may be, every country, Ukraine, uh, Russia, Putin himself, you know, they're captives. Alright? Kim in North Korea, he thinks he's a god, he's actually a prisoner. Alright? He's captive. And God loves him and wants to set him free. All right. Yeah, he's mad at me. God wants to end all of the evil practices that they do. But inside, there's a kid in there that, that needs a heavenly father. And, and God sees him that way. Recovery of sight. I've got to hurry up through this. Uh, let me just click through all these on this slide uh, so they're all up there. Recovery of sight, <coughs> sight is literally uh, physical sight, but there's a more pervasive problem. There's a more pervasive blindness, and that's the fact that billions are mentally and spiritually blind. Their eyes are clouded and they're unable to see. Next slide. Talks about this in 2 Corinthians. But even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing, whose mind the God of this age has blinded. Uh, who do not believe, least the light of the glory of the gospel, light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. Jesus came to tear that veil, to break through every obstacle, and bring sight to those who are blinded from the truth. Uh, again, keep going. The next slide is because the Father is moved when He sees people wandering about uh, under deception and ignorance. He really is. Constantly, you know, it's just blind, bumping into things and being hurt. Well, that's what people are spiritually, and they're being manipulated and controlled by forces beyond their control. You know, as as a parent, the last thing I want to see is my kid wander out and get hurt. You know, when they're little, you're afraid they're going to. Emily once uh, got out of the house 
Forget how old the time. <laughs> she still did it. She's now in Canada again. <clears throat> but you know, I was like, hey, you'd be afraid. Like, where are they? She's gonna be in the street. The car's gonna hit her. Oh no! You know, she's in the store. Somebody's gonna kidnap her. And you're terrified. And you want to find her. You want to keep her safe. <clears throat> You know, and if that's that's what we as broken individuals feel, how much more the Father in heaven feels that way, that he wants to come in and make sure each and every man, woman, child is protected from uh, themselves and protected from the enemy. Uh, and that is the motivation. Next slide. <clears throat> and put up all the points, please. Um, he came to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And it's the same uh, word used earlier, that liberty means to set free as though the sins had never been committed. And I like this quote from Richardson's Word Pictures. It says, uh, for the word oppressed, it's an old verb, but there, it's only used this one time in the New Testament. It means, uh, oppressed means to break in pieces, broken in heart, and often in body as well. Next slide. Uh, one who loves, Richardson continues on describing this word. He said, one loves to think that Jesus felt it to be his mission to mend broken hearts like pieces of broken earthenware or pottery. Real rescue mission work. Jesus mends them and sets them free from their limitations. And so Jesus' mission was to find broken things and, and put the pieces back together. The pieces of your life? Uh, certainly, Yes. We get that. But what I want to challenge you with is that He wants to do that with the lives of every man, woman, and child, planet Earth. Regardless of how wicked they are, how broken they are, how deceived they are. Because the measure of brokenness between them and the measure of wickedness between them and me is minuscule. Compared to the measure of wickedness between me and Jesus. Are you hearing me? And so the most evil person on planet Earth I'm more like that evil person by a factor of a million than I'm like Jesus. Yeah. Okay? And so if Jesus had mercy on me, then it's not fair that that person doesn't experience the mercy of Jesus. It's just not fair. And that has to be the motive of our lives. Why? Because that's how the Father feels. Alright? That's how the Father feels. It all is rooted. It doesn't matter if you don't feel that way. Okay? You just have to deal with that. You will if you start seeing people the way the Father sees people. Especially if you start loving on people the way the Father loves people. Then you'll start feeling it because that's, that's really the anointing kicking in. Yeah, there you go. All right? That you start acting like the Father. Actually, you start acting like Jesus. Because Jesus did what He did because He, was what, he did what the Father did. And so you want to act like Jesus? Find someone that's poor in some way. Now listen, there's a great thing. Most of you don't think you're, you're rich, but you are. <laughs> um, that's another conversation. But the thing is, you have something that some people don't have. So some people have a lot of money, but they don't have any joy, or they don't have any uh, godliness or purpose. They don't know their reason for existing. They just like to make money. I met somebody in the gym the other day, and his every other word was F this, F that. And I'm like... <sighs> I just one of those people I like to go. Why do you, do, you, do you have kids? Do you talk that way in front of your kids? I'm like, dude, you're really macho. I see that. Your language makes you look like a little kid. Twelve-year-old yeah. boys talk. I'm sorry, that's another. Um, but he was just going on. Uh, one of the things he says, uh, he said something about organs. But I like to make money. 
I like to make money, so that's why I do it. And you could tell that that was his driving passion, was to make money and use foul language. <laughs> All right, and so that guy, the Father loves. I'm like, how can I communicate the love of the Father? One was I didn't rail on him about his language, obviously. You know, and I tried to get to know him a little bit. And so we need to look at people and see that uh, God sees into their... Uh, that He may have a lot of money, uh, but he doesn't know God. So in this way, he's poor and I'm rich. Even though I don't have any money, I know God. I know, I know truths about God that this guy would be transformed if he, he, I was able to share them with him. And so my job is to proclaim this, just like Jesus proclaimed. Look to the last slide, will you? Uh, TJ. Uh, the response. And so um, the truth is, is that Jesus came to preach good news to the poor. Uh, for the brokenhearted, there's healing. For the captive, there's freedom. For the blind, there's sight. For the oppressor's liberty. And for the father, and the father's heart in all of this is to proclaim acceptance. I'm just going to ask uh, Aaron to come up and just lead us in a, in a closing time uh, of prayer. Welcome him.